Hey, voice teachers, it is Nikki from Full Voice Music on today's podcast, podcast number 62. My special returning guest is the wonderful and very inspiring Nate Plummer. Now, Nate is an acting and singing coach, and he's also the creator of some fantastic resources for those of us in the trenches working with young singers. Now, today, Nate and I are discussing how to find the best audition songs for our students. This is something that comes up on our forum all the time. Nate has some incredible ideas, some great teaching strategy, and it's a fun conversation right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now here's your host, Nikki Loney. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast. Nate Plummer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Well, it's cold, right? It's November. Right, right. Is it is it cold and, and snowy in Chippewa Falls? Um, it, it should be. I mean, it's cold and it snows for five minutes and then stops. So the rest of the U.S. was getting blanketed in snow the other day and we got nothing, mm. which is weird. <laughs> so today, I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. I love talking to you. You are a musical theater repertoire expert. And secretly, I shouldn't tell people this, but you're my go-to. I, I often send you private Facebook messages with dilemmas in my teaching yes. studio. <laughs> and I'm forever grateful for your love and kindness of helping me out with some of my kiddos. Uh, but today I want to talk about choosing the best songs for our students when they are preparing for auditions. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you, though, and this is a personal question from me to you. Mm -hmm. How do you stay up to date on all these shows, on all these songs. You got Broadway, Off-Broadway, you got these random songs that are being composed now that aren't even from shows. How am I supposed to keep up, Nate Plummer? Um, I think keeping up to date on the current Broadway shows is the most important. So following websites such as Playbill uh, or Broadway World or Broadway.com because they're going to be really showing what the popular shows are. And the more popular the show is, the more likely one of your students is going to show up wanting to sing something from it in your mm -hmm. studio. So it helps you know, um, is this a show that, even if you have only listened to a couple songs, is it a show that you feel comfortable exploring with your students or is it one that you're just going to be like, you know, this is not an appropriate show for my studio mm -hmm. and the age demographics that I work with and that you can just be prepared for an answer. I think the more you can follow these places on Facebook um, mm -hmm. or on other social media sites because they share stuff constantly about the different shows and those are a great place to look. Other Places that are going to be showing popular songs would be newmusictheater.com, another great mm -hmm. place to follow on social media because they're posting more of what we refer to as the YouTube composers. So we call them YouTube composers because they're really writing for cabaret-style shows that they're doing at places like 54 Below. And those are really so that producers can see their writing style. And then as the producers are interested in bringing a particular show, 
they can go and find those young new composers. So really that's how Pasek and Paul got picked up was by right. kind of being a YouTube composer and showcasing their stuff at 54 below. And then they got picked up for doing a Christmas story and et cetera, et cetera. And now they're, you know, everywhere. So right. following the places where new music's coming is really helpful. And you can do that really just by scrolling through your Facebook feed confession here sometimes my teenagers I have a couple of really passionate kids that just love musical theater and they bring in these songs and they I've never heard the show I've never heard the composer and I've got a scramble mm -hmm. to figure out what it's about and if it's doable and uh, I, I don't like when that happens <laughs> I think it's um, my default even on a show that I kind of know if I, I'm not 100% certain if a piece is right for a student to explore, whether it's the content or the range or whatever, I'll say, you know what, I'm going to write that down. I'm just going to look into it a little bit more, and then I'll get back to you. Oh, nice. Because it's always easier to then say, you know, I went through this piece, and I don't know if it's one that we're ready to do yet. We're really talking a lot about appropriateness exactly. for our singers. Yep. And I know that in the teaching studio, I know a lot of us are, are fighting with our students about, and sometimes with their parents, about whether or not it's an appropriate song. Like age appropriateness, how important is that for choosing the right audition piece? I think the, the primary question to always ask is, can this actor, because we call them actors, in the audition room. Mm -hmm. Can this actor tell this character's story honestly? Or is there going to be something that's gonna make someone behind the audition table go, why did they do that? And that can right. be, uh, are they not age appropriate for the piece? Have they not experienced enough things in their life to understand what this song is really about? Just because a song is beautiful mm -hmm. and it's really fun to sing doesn't mean it's a story that that performer is ready to tell going into the audition room. I think the trap a lot of voice teachers get into is that they look at songs that are really awesome showcases vocally, but that's only mm -hmm. one thing that's being considered in the audition room. So the audition is really almost a job interview. We're looking for ways right. to showcase who you are as a person and the stories that you have life experience to tell. As, as rough as it is to maybe say to a 13-year-old girl, it's very unlikely that she's going to have the life experience to sing She Used to Be Mine from Waitress. If she has that experience, um, right? we, we have different conversations to explore. Just because that person can connect to it and it means something to them doesn't mean it's a good audition piece. The audition piece has to tell mm. a story about the performer that they would share. So mm. if we think of it as going into the audition room and the people behind the table said, tell me a story about you, the song should allow that to happen. And if the song can't do that because there's no way this person can connect to it in a real honest way, it's not mm -hmm. the right fit, regardless of how well they sing it. On the flip side, a song can be not really age appropriate, 
but the singer can connect to it and they have some version of the story that makes, you know, I like to say, if you are listening to them sing it and you're just like instantly pulled forward because you're like leaning in, you want to like get closer to that action, then it's the right song. So there's kind of the two rules. It doesn't just feel right. That's totally okay. But if there's something in your brain going, I don't, that doesn't feel right. There's something that's red flagging for me that's going to distract them. Then you probably don't want to do it. If at any point the people behind the table are distracted from what the actor is doing, it doesn't work because that's all they're going to remember is what they were distracted by, not Mm. all the awesome things. So things that can distract can be, um, are they not old enough for this role? Are they too old for the role? That happens a lot when I hear mm. like 13-year-old girls singing Tomorrow from Annie. They've aged out of that unless they're super short. And, you know, they, they look right. exactly like Lila Bird. They, they don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> then they've probably aged out of the role. Uh, other things would be, is their vocal technique just not fitting the song. If a song is requiring a performer to belt, they have to belt because there's an acting choice motivating the belt. So if they can't do it mm. as a belt and we're expecting the belt, then then it's not the right piece. If they if there's just something about the piece that does not fit the show that's being auditioned for, if you're auditioning for Oklahoma, you can't go in and sing something from Dear Evan Hansen. Okay, that's my that was my next question. So is it inappropriate to sing a song from the show to audition a song from the show that they are auditioning for? It's not inappropriate. It's just not something we typically do. So it's kind of one Um, of those unwritten rules. Right. It's more the the tradition is. Don't do this. And the, the reason why. I think for me as a coach, what I explain to to my clients is if you're going in and singing something from the show, unless you are absolutely perfect for only one character, mm. especially for where our where our younger singers are at, they're going to be auditioning for community theater or high school or maybe even their middle school show. So they are they aren't in that really focused type that professional actors are. A lot of professional actors are auditioning for one role because that's really all they're going to be considered for. If you're auditioning in a scenario where you could be considered for multiple characters, going in and singing a song from the show basically says, this is the only character I'm capable of. And if you don't live up to the expectations of that character, that's all you showed them. Right. So you're really limiting yourself and sticking yourself in that box. Whereas if you go in with a song that's similar to the show that allows you to tell a story and showing that you bring life experience that fits into the world of the show, Mm. then you have a lot more options of could you, in the case of Oklahoma, could you be Curly or could you be Judd if you're a baritone Mm -hmm. or as a tenor, could you be Allie Hackam or could you be Will Parker. It's going to kind of depend on what you then bring to the to the piece that you're showing us, rather than mm. this is the only thing I can do. Is it appropriate to change the key of an audition song? Dun dun dun. Um, 
your long pause tells me there's something that you need to tell us. <laughs> Mostly because I know you heard me go off on this rant. Um, if I guess the, the question I have is, is it appropriate? Um, mm. And the, the reason is, I, this is where it's kind of a personal thing. My belief is true audition musical theater pieces should the key should not be changed because I'm going to spend the entire time going, this doesn't feel right. And if mm. you couldn't sing it in the original key, then you wouldn't actually be able to tell this story. Right. So why did you choose it? Mm. I think pop songs or pop rock pieces are the only time key changes work in an audition. And a lot of times that happens because we'll see ladies singing men's songs. Because as long as right, the lyrics right. don't conflict, that's, that's one thing. Um, but that's because there isn't a direct story. There isn't that association. I think a lot of times, like for me, I grew up listening to the Les Mis recording on loop. Mm. Um, I, can, I can probably sing that entire score straight through um, <laughs> without thinking about it. And I know it because I burned through several like actual hard copies of the CD for the tw for the 10th anniversary recording. Like I had to, I had to buy multiples because it was so, <laughs> so used. I can tell if those songs are not in the same key. Right. And I'm distracted by it. And it, it's one of the things about the vocal selections books, especially for Les Mis, that's annoying because that's what people bring into the auditions and like bring him home is in a totally different key in the vocal selection book than it is in the actual show. Mm. And so I didn't know it's that. one of those, you have to almost do the research because the vocal selection right. books are almost always put into keys that are more piano player friendly because musical right. theater, as we know, has like 9,000 sharps and flats. So, <laughs> and then they'll still use accidentals. So they'll try to figure out what are the easier keys for people to play and what are the easier keys for people to sing. But that's not the key that we're expecting because all you have to do right. is have somebody like me behind the table who's going to sit and go, why is this transposed? Right. Um, especially if you're only doing it a half step or a whole step. Because then, right. we're, then we're really distracted that it just, it feels weird. So again, it's, is it distracting us? I don't think it's wrong. There's not, there's like, there's no rule saying that you can't do it. And a lot of casting directors will even say, yeah, transpose, just make sure that the arrangement stays the same. Because <laughs> okay. a lot of times if you transpose something in music notes or whatever, the chords get all wonky because of the, like I said, mm. the 9 million accidentals. So making sure that the arrangement of it still makes sense and still is playable. But as teachers, okay. you would, you would go through that in your, in your studio and working with your students. But I guess my thing is always, I don't want anything that's going to distract from what my clients are doing in the room. Now, when you are working with your students, um, do you work with them on the 16 bar cuts, 32 bar cuts, and then the whole piece? Like, how do you approach that? Do they learn the whole song first and then you break it down into the sections? Or 
How do you in, do an, in an ideal world, the singer should know the entire song. Right. Uh, I say in an ideal world because if you're having to work with a high schooler that has the audition tomorrow and they just decided they're going to audition for the show. You know, <laughs> Which happens out. more than it should, right? Like, Right. Especially yeah. with the boys. Um, yeah. So you have to... I guess, pick your battles. So my answer professionally is they should know the entire song. And then they should know how their cuts fit into that entire song. But that doesn't mean that their performance of the cut is how it would be in the entire song. So for example, if you go look at the song A New Life from Jekyll and Hyde, the, the traditional cut of that usually the 16 bar is the right on the key change at the end. Oh, if someone like you, you can't start that as a complete story. Right. Because you have that O and that O is a reaction to something that happened beforehand. So you need to know this is a reaction, but I can't start in the middle of a thought. So the 16, so the 16 bar cut has to be its own separate entity. Mm -hmm. You can do that in that song really easily by just cutting out the O Mm -hmm. and just starting on someone like you on those notes and it it works perfectly. And a lot of songs work that way. But I think it helps our singers especially know when they know the whole piece, they know how there fits Mm -hmm. into it, they know the story, and then how do they tell that entire story in 16 measures or 32 measures, or even in some cases, eight measures, because that is something we're seeing more and more. You know, I wanted to ask you, because I struggle with this in my teaching studio with my students, but what kind of research do you expect your students to do on their songs or on the shows? I would like every singer to, at the bare minimum, know their character's story throughout the show and how this song fits into the story more so that they understand the character enough that they can find their own story to tell using the song. Because again, if we go back to what I was saying earlier in the audition, it's not the character's story, it's your story. Right. So it's whoever's singing it. That's, that's who's getting the majority of, of the focus. So it's, okay, this is what my character is experiencing. This is what they've lived up to at this point in the story. What do I have to kind of draw from in my life experience that's going to allow me to find the actions that I would take in my character's version of the story? Or if I change my story, find things that mean something to me in in the song. So for example, just because Jack Kelly in Santa Fe is singing about running away to Santa Fe, that doesn't mean a singer is actually singing about Santa Fe. It could Mm. be some totally different place or Santa Fe really for Jack is an idea. It's about the potential of a new life. It's about living a dream. It's about however you as the, the, teacher and student want to work through it and then helping them find that is Mm -hmm. way more important 
than whatever Jack is telling. So to do that, they have to know what the song's about in the context of the show. They need to know why that character is using the words that they are. Mm -hmm. And I think finding ways that a student is similar to the character, not different than the character. Oh, that's a neat exercise. That would be cool. Is, is the most important because we are more similar to any character mm -hmm. than we are different. And we get so caught up in the differences and that's usually what ends up getting played. And that isn't what we're looking for in the audition. So mm -hmm. if you can find those moments with your student, there will be a much more effective audition. And the only real way of doing that is mm -hmm. for both parties to have done the research. Which, ah. Because you're going to know, okay, this is what the song is about. I know this part about my student. Mm -hmm. So you're going to kind of know what buttons to push in kind of getting them to mm -hmm. think through what the song means to them and what story they're going to be able to tell. So that if they then say, well, I would do this, and you know that's not really their honest reaction, you can go, really? That's, that's what you would do? Is that honestly what you would do? Because I know you would do such and such in this situation. Wouldn't you do the same here? So it really goes to you have to do the research on the story of the show, the character of the show, your student, and what you know about them, and then helping them figure out what the story that they're telling is. So that's where teaching technique is so different than actually coaching an audition. Because the coaching is all about asking questions to help them discover it for themselves. Nice. Whereas if you're teaching them the song, you're going to say, this is the right note, this is the right phrasing, this is whatever. You're telling them what to do, but it's then it's your story, not theirs. Right. So if you can help them figure it out on their own, it's more effective. And that really is what is so hard about coaching effective auditions is that you have to do all of that research to know the song and know the story and then apply it to the student all in the hopes that the people behind the table are going to see the potential in that person to fit into their story and their world that they're putting together. So it's like you have to research the show they're auditioning for and the song you're sending them in with and the student all at the same time and hoping that the student's going to then put all of that into play. And that's the hardest part, I think, for me as an audition coach is we can do all of this work in the studio and then I don't know if they actually do it in the room or not. Um, I wanted to share with you a struggle that I'm having in my teaching studio with some of my students because I, especially when they bring a, a show that I'm not familiar with, I do do my research. I go on, I, I find as much information as I can. Um, and then I start asking my students questions about the characters and, and trying to, you know, find that connection with them. I I find that my students are not willing. They really are reluctant to do that work. Mm -hmm. They just want to sing the song. And I keep mm -hmm. trying to remind them that that's, that's, you know, it's an acting mm -hmm. thing more than a singing thing. So my, my conversation with my kiddos is like, we expect you to be a really good singer. It's the acting that's going to wow them. Is that accurate or am I... 
I think it's I think it's accurate, but I I would make it even simpler and say they will not cast a singer, they will cast an actor. Oh, I like that. I'm stealing that, Nate Plummer. Thank you. So an actor is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And from from a singing standpoint, they are actors who sing. So they are using their singing to tell the story. It's a tool to tell the story. It's not the whole story. Right. And this is a trap because when we're in the voice studio, we really do want them to sound perfect. We oh, want them course. to use good technique. We, we want them to do all of those things that we want them to do. But sometimes that isn't the most effective in telling the story. So getting them to play with how different actions change their voice mm-hmm. is really, really helpful because if we're, um, if we're trying to prove something to someone, the way we attack the, the consonants, the plosives and the fricatives and, and all of that changes than if we're just trying to explain it to someone. Mm. And that's really where one of my students who is a brilliant classically trained baritone has done quite a bit of opera, but wants to make the transition into musical theater had this light bulb moment in a session one time where he said, it's not singing, it's voice acting. And that was super cool because then from that point on, he wasn't focusing on his technique and singing it right. He was finding the right technique to tell his story. And this is where I like to think that vocal techniques aren't like a linear progression. It isn't do this, do this, do this, do this, and the song's going to be right. It's a toolbox. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to find the right tool in the moment and sometimes that isn't the prettiest sound and we have to sometimes especially with singers that are very conscious about their voice we have to give them permission to make those sounds because they think we're their teacher we want them to do the technique the right way so a lot of times they don't think play with those sounds that are really going to help them tell the story so when we can say i don't care about it sounding pretty. I don't care about it sounding really good. If you were just saying this text, how would you say it? And then applying that to the singing. So if they're going to be really like chasing after a dream, they're going to probably have a little bit, again, more of that attack Mm -hmm. than if they're just singing it. Do you make your students uh, do a lot of speaking through the text? Yes. Is that part of your coaching? Yep. Um, I think a lot of times when we're singing through something, we don't often think of what does this sound like? We just try to figure out how to do it. So if you reverse Mm -hmm. it and say, if I'm speaking this, this is what it sounds like, then how do I do that while I'm singing? How do I create that sound while I'm singing it? And oftentimes it helps students that are doing the kind of over singing sound too. Right. When, when they just speak it 
And so I will say, can you just not sing? I don't, I don't want to hear you sing right now. Can you just speak this mm. on notes? Mm. And make whatever sounds that is when you're speaking. Just with a rhythm and with the pitch pattern rather than going note to note to note to note. If we give our per- singers permission to play with their sounds again mm-hmm. and take away that expectation of singing has to sound a certain way, they'll mm-hmm. oftentimes end up creating the sound that they were looking for in the first place. Right. They were just trying too hard. So mm-hmm. speaking is super helpful. All, oftentimes rhythms that are written on paper become very stilted in musical theater yes, because it's, yes. it's an approximation, not exactly what it is. Musical theater is trying to recreate human speech. And if it's not exactly doable in the math that is music theory, they're going to mm-hmm. find something that's as close as they possibly can but expect that the singer is going to back phrase and front phrase to make it feel natural. So oftentimes going through and having the singer speak it and then be like, there, that's the rhythm. (laughs) And then just be like, sing it that way and then point out to them why that works. So if a word that's stressed ends up on a strong beat when they're speaking, it's probably on the same stressed beat when they're singing it. So speaking through it, especially in an audition piece when we're trying to get them to tell the story, mm-hmm. we take away the notes and the rhythms and all of the, the hard stuff and we just let them tell the story mm-hmm. with the text. Then they can just go, oh, this is another tool to heighten the emotion of the story I'm telling rather than mm-hmm. the music again being the whole story they're telling. If people don't know who are listening to the podcast, you created, and this is like gold in my teaching studio, you created these wonderful repertoire, musical theater repertoire guides. And it started off with the ones for kids. And that, I cannot tell you, I cannot thank you enough, has saved my life. I have it printed up in a beautiful book. It sits on the coffee table of my teaching studio. And parents and students are welcome to flip through it and um, get some ideas. And it's been so helpful. And then you released um, big repertoire guides for all the voice types because you obviously cloned yourself and (laughs) had all this free time. That was a huge project. And again, such an amazing resource. But you are now working on a resource where you are fi- you are suggesting appropriate songs for auditions for certain shows. I want to cry. I'm so <laughs> excited. Get that done right now. <laughs> so locally for me, uh, there's been auditions for Annie. There's been auditions for The Lion King. There's been auditions for Beauty and the Beast. Those are the three big shows that are happening in the elementary schools and in the community theaters. And there's there's tunes that are good choices for those shows. So not giving away all your magic secrets, but how do you go about finding complementary tunes depending on the show? What are your general guidelines? 
The first thing is to always find out what shows are being performed in your area. I think this is easier when you're a teacher in a particular area because you just find your local theaters, find the schools, and just get that list as early as possible. And then go through and find who are the composers, who are the lyricists, because it is very rare that this will be the only thing that they've written. Mm -hmm. So that's always a good place to start and then see if they have anything in a similar style. So let's use Beauty and the Beast uh, because that's a, that's a really popular one. So we have Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, as well as Tim Rice after Howard Ashman passed away. So you've got three very prolific musical theater artists right there mm -hmm. where you can go through and just listen to songs that they've worked on, either as that team and that pairing or other composers or lyricists that they might have worked with. There's usually a similar artistic writing style Mm -hmm. that is going to carry over really well. So if we look at Beauty and the Beast and you're auditioning for, let's say, Lumiere, Mencken and Ashman literally handed you Les Poissons mm. from Little Mermaid. So you have a similar sound because he's French and it's ah. by the same So right there, you are literally beating us over the head with Beautiful. knowing how that works. Um, then if we throw in Tim Rice, Tim Rice did a bunch of stuff with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm. And Andrew Lloyd Webber has a very kind of epic writing style. So there's lots of potential in Andrew Lloyd Webber's music for Bell, Because we mm. see Bell go from a little more traditional, legit soprano style singing in the early pieces of home all the way into her mezzo belter style that we see in a change in me. And part of that is to show her vocal maturing or vocal maturity as she matures through her life experience. So we look for characters that go on similar journeys that show similar vocal paths. Andrew Lloyd Webber has that. His other contemporaries would be Bo Bell and Schomburg. Uh, who wrote Les Mis and Miss Saigon. So they have a lot of similar tonalities between that kind of pairing of composers. You go by, okay, what does this remind me of? Mm -hmm. I like to do um, word association kind of things when I'm really struggling. Mm -hmm. So I will just go through and think, okay, what what shows does this song remind me of? If I was to stick this song into another show, where would it go? Nice. Or what, what other pieces has this composing team written that this reminds me of? Or mm -hmm. who is the original singer in the original cast? What other things have they done that sound similar to wow. this? Um, because the voices are going to be really similar. I also do the same thing when I get new students in my studio. I go through and I just like off the top of my head, just word associate singers that they remind me of. Oh, nice. And then I just kind of have a perpetual list of songs that I want them to do mm. that have a similar sound because I know their voices are, are leaning more towards that. 
Right. And it it's going to set them up for success. And especially if I know that they're the shows that are in the area, their voice reminds me of someone or a particular character, then I'm going to really be able to be like this song. This is your audition piece. And usually when it's based off of the singer's voice, mm-hmm. it feels right for them right. when they sing it. And then they're like, I like this. This feels good. And you rarely end up with the, I don't like this kind mm-hmm. of thing that, that oftentimes comes up. So it's, there are lots of little tricks and things, you know, you can go by the story of the show and what shows are similar, what sounds are similar. Is it in a similar genre of musicals? Mm. So uh, back to beauty and the beast, some of the other Disney shows work really, really well, obviously. Um, but it's also kind of from that mid nineties era when we were still in the holdovers from the pop rock opera style musicals of Les Mis, Jekyll and Hyde, Phantom, et cetera. So someone like you from Jekyll and Hyde also works really well for Belle Hmm. because we have a similar tone, tonal palette, but it doesn't work nearly as well as a new life because a new life is about starting over and escaping the the current situation that Lucy's nice. in, which is exactly what Belle's story is. Nice. So the more you can do that research of the characters and, and figuring out what, what do things remind you of, the more you're going to be able to justify the choice. And it's never about the song itself. Right. It's why that story was chosen in the room because again as long as you can justify it the goal is the people behind the table aren't going to go why did you choose this if you believe and you know for a solid reason why you chose it because this is the story that was the right one for that student to tell they're just going to be entertained and if they're entertained that's that's the gold ticket if you can get them to look up from their notepads or look up from their computers and pay attention and do that lean forward thing, like I said, they've got it. That's, mm. that's really the gold. And so it's what, what connections can you draw that's just going to make everything click and do that like, ah, moment on the piece <laughs> with the bright, the bright, shiny light. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the easiest thing is to go, what does the student already have in their rep? Right. So you don't have to teach them something new and go, what seems to already fit? It's a, mm-hmm. I need a, a love struck ballad for the beast. Okay. Well, he's already learned on the street where you live. Is it perfect? Mm. No, but we get the high sweeping notes. It's about someone who's in love. Can I shape the story that the singer tells to instead of being, I just met her, to she just ran away? And how mm. does that change the story? Um, sometimes you gotta put the square peg in the round hole. <laughs> okay, so Nate, oh gosh, all of these amazing suggestions and strategies, I love it. I always have so many takeaways when I talk to you. And uh, I've got some uh, students that I need to uh, 
<laughs> I need to get some new audition pieces for, for sure. But um, you have a coaching course right now. You're working with a lot of people to help them be the best coaches they can possibly be. Can you tell everybody a little bit about that? Yeah. So the coaching course is a series of online videos that you kind of work through at your own pace through the, there's also an included workbook and you can go through it and you hear all of the different musical theater history. You hear about the different vocal techniques that are used in each of the different styles because the vowels even change depending on what genre you're in. The different things like back phrasing and front phrasing, where in musical theater that comes in, what shows that is applied to, all of that kind of stuff, as well as going through different acting methods, talking about Stanislavski and Stella Adler. And it kind of gives you a crash course in more tools that you can use in your studios to help your students find everything that we've been talking about in the podcast today. And it just kind of goes through it in a, in a very, um, it's about four hours of video footage, uh, 13 different videos, if I'm remembering correctly. And then there's a hundred page resource workbook too, that has different analysis (laughs) worksheets and all of that stuff like we've been talking about today. It also comes with the repertoire guide that we talked about. So if you already have the repertoire guide, you can get the course separate with just that, or you can get it with the repertoire guide so that as you're going through finding the songs and we're talking about them in the course, you can see, oh, that's why the repertoire guide is divided out this way. That's why this song is in there. Oh, how amazing. And then you also get two coaching sessions with me. So one is just a Q&A session, what kind of like what the podcast is where you can talk about different struggles you're having in your studio or how do you explore a different thing. Maybe you just want more information about something in the course. And then the second session is kind of you coaching one of your students and then I give you oh. feedback. Wow. So we go through the you go through the whole session and then you and I chat afterwards about things that you that work really well that you're doing things that maybe you could approach in a different way, things that sometimes we don't even realize we're doing in the, in mm. the studio, that sometimes it's just helpful to have another person go, did you know that's, that's what's happening? Um, so all of that's included in the course, as well as there's a Facebook group where we share different resources and I do Beautiful. Facebook Lives and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really geared at helping teachers that want to grow in this area. And we've got a great group of teachers that are already part of it. So nice. if, if you're interested in that, all the information, like Nikki said, is, is also on the website. Nate Plummer, my dear friend, coffee aficionado and amazing, <laughs> amazing music educator. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I will have you back. You know what I really want to talk to you about next time? What? Well, coffee. Yes. Right. And your dog, maybe. But also, <laughs> are you ready? Yes. Monologues. Ooh, yes. Okay. We should totally so, talk about monologues. All right. We'll book that date for 2019. All right. 
All right. So, uh, Nate, thank you so much. I'm going to put a link to all of your wonderful resources, your amazing coaching uh, course that's now available. Your website is stagedoorunlocked.com. And as all of our wonderful friends and colleagues in the Voice Teachers Forum, Voice Teachers for Young Singers know that you are there asking questions, answering questions, and I can't thank you enough for that. So thank you so much. I'm wishing you a warm winter. (laughs) (laughs) If that's even possible. Yes, I know. Oh, Nate, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Nikki. A very special thank you to Nate for sharing all his wonderful insight. And uh, Nate wanted to also thank you, the podcast listener. Nate has set up a secret discount code for any of his resources uh, or his uh, online course or even some coaching, one-on-one coaching with him. So if you use the code FV podcast all capital letters on his website stagedoorunlocked.com you can save 25% on any of his resources online courses or coaching and a very special thank you to Nate for being so generous to all uh, of our listeners as always if you are enjoying this podcast please go to iTunes leave a review I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe